0: To put on fine clothing is to say, I get to be like royalty for a minute. I don't have to go to work. And so their clothing practices begin to reflect the joy of this pause that had never been part of their life ever. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out our website and social media. Now, here's our special guest speaker, Amberly Striebeck. Well, good morning. It's really good to be here again with you um, for those of you who don't know um, I'm Ryan's wife and occasionally he lets me share the pulpit and I'm really excited about joining this particular sermon series. I don't know about you, but this one's been really good for me. Um, this series that Ryan has us in in the uh, uh, learning more about the Ten Commandments. Um, learning that you know they're more than what Charlton Heston said they were in the movie more than just the list of the rights and the wrongs. Um, so by way of review, I kind of want to walk us through how we've, where we've gone so far in the, in the Ten Commandments. You know, Ryan um, reminded us to look and read the scriptures and notice that the Ten Commandments don't start with a thou shalt or a thou shalt not. The Ten Commandments start with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery without that as our starting place, none of the rest of the list makes any sense at all. That God brought us out of captivity, brought us out of slavery, not to just put us in a different kind of bondage. Right? It is for freedom that he set us free. And so in light of that sort of 1B... 1A is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, and sort of 1B, if you will, is this idea that we shouldn't have any other gods besides our God. Now, again, it sounds like a thou shalt not, sort of sounds a little bit like God is insecure or petty or whatever, but please understand that in the ancient world, polytheism, worshipping many, many gods, was the only smart thing to do. Does that make sense? That was wisdom at the time. You had to appease all the gods in hopes that some of them would be on your side. Right, So they were running around and making sacrifices to a god of this place and that place and this natural phenomenon and that other one and the god of the sun and the god of the rain and the god of this place and the god of the, on and on and on and on. So much energy expended hoping that the god that happens to like me happens to be better than the other gods so that they happen to make my life better. And it was all kind of guesswork and it was really hard and it was really exhausting but it was also seen as wisdom. That was the smart thing to do. You know, Ryan told us that idols are gods that we create that then have to operate on our turf and our terms and our timeline and to our ends. And we have this permission to stop doing that. It's risky. It's risky, right? Because God's saying, put all of your eggs in this basket. But it's only risky if God doesn't follow through. And we know that that is not the God that we serve. How do we know? Because this is the God that brought us up out of slavery that delivered us from Egypt and made covenant to be our God and King. That is the God we're trusting. This is okay to put all of our eggs in this particular basket. It's really not a risk. But in the ancient world, monotheism, worshipping one God, seemed dangerous. It is a big, big risk. But it's also freeing. It's also relief. And so after that, then he said, also don't bear my name in vain. This again is a contrast to the religious practices of the day. Remember we just said what they were doing was running around trying to manipulate the gods to do what they wanted them to do. And God said, you can stop doing that. But I think in the second commandment, what God is also saying is you also don't manipulate me. You don't trade on my name. You don't do all of the ceremonies and the dances and the sacrifices. You don't have to do anything to impress me, to get me to be on your side. And you don't use my name to impress other people, to manipulate them. Because that's what was going on in the way that the religious practices of the day worked all the time. And I don't think they've gone away. I think the invitation to idolatry has gone away, and I don't think the invitation to try to leverage the one God to do what we want Him to do instead of surrendering our lives to do what He has called us to do. We bear His name in vain. We're trying to make our religious practice look like the world's religious practice, but when we bear His name in glory, we're surrendering our purposes to His. We're aligning our life with His goals. Not because God needs us to, but because we need to. It's it's the best thing for us, right? That this gift of being set free from idolatry is good for us. And the gift of being set free to bear the Lord's name in glory instead of in vain is a gift to us. And then we get to the one that we're talking about today. The one that Steve just read for us. The gift of Sabbath. That we should remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Holy. Now, just like the others, this is a gift to us. Again, put yourself in an ancient world, in a chaotic and a harsh and unforgiving world, and maybe we're still in it, but stop working doesn't make any sense. You can't stop working. You you can only stop working if you want to stop eating. Right? Right? Like, you can only stop working if you want to stop surviving. If you don't want to have any more adequate food or access to water or shelter or defense, or, th- then you can stop working. But otherwise, in the ancient world, the only people who got to pause were royalty. Right? The only people who got to have a break from work were people who imposed their power on more vulnerable people and made them work for them. That's the only way to not work is somebody else is working on your behalf, right? So God has said, stop running around and appeasing all the other gods. Don't try to manipulate me to get what you need and stop working for a minute. Pause. Because God is working on our behalf. You don't get to stop working unless someone else is working on your behalf. It's still true. But God is working on our behalf. That our well-being is not in our own hands. It's in his. Uh, Don't get me wrong. This is not, Ryan said it this morning in his office. He said, this isn't the lazy person's commandment. (laughs) Like, sweet, off the hook. Because it still says, six days you shall do your labor and your work. This is good. It is right and fitting that we work. It, work was not something that came to us after the fall. It just got really much harder after the fall. But we had work to do in Eden, right? Adam and Eve had naming and caring to do for creation. There was work for us. And we are sort of designed to want to use the capacities that we've been given by God to produce good things in the world and to take care of the world and to take care of each other in the way that God designed us to. And that's good. But after the fall, it felt like that was all we could do, and there was never a pause. And remember here, he's talking to a nation of people who have been slaves for hundreds of years, hundreds of years. They haven't had a day off, and neither did their dad, and neither did their granddad, and neither did their great-granddad. Do you understand the idea of taking an entire 24-hour period out of seven to just rest is completely new and absolutely a gift. The gift of Sabbath is that we get to live like royalty. And that we get to cease striving. Does that sound familiar? Cease striving. Be still and know that I am God. Cease striving. Does anybody else, when you just say those words, you feel tension falling out of these muscles right here? And the other gift of Sabbath is that we can just be. That we can just be. We can enjoy God. And God can enjoy us just for who we are. Not for what we do. Not for what we produce. Not for how many uh, dollars we made this week or how many souls we saved. That we can just be. Um, Often The practices of worship for our communities have sprung up during Sabbath. We worship when we rest. And the first time maybe I made this connection is when I was preparing for this sermon this week and trying to practice Sabbath, to to pause and realize it's not all up to me, to cease striving and let all of that tension fall out of my shoulders, not because I'm lazy, but because I trust God, and to just be to be Amberly, to not be a student, or a secretary, or a mom, or a mentor, or a wife, or a friend, or to let all of those labels lay down for a minute, not because I don't like them, I like all of them. I'm grateful that I'm privileged enough to have built a life that I enjoy, and yet, on Sabbath, I'm just Amberly, and that's enough. That all by itself is enough. It actually made me remember when Jesus rose from the dead and Mary recognized him when he said her name because that's all she was, just Mary. I hear that in God, that there's a little bit of Sabbath in just being called Amberly. There's a rest from all the roles that I'm enough, just me. And I can see how worship and rest get linked together. Because when I have that experience, I want to come together with other people who are also having that experience. I want to be here with you to know and celebrate together that all I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. For us to know that and celebrate that together is the gift of Sabbath. And the gift of Sabbath, Sabbath, I don't know how many times I'm gonna do that today. The gift of Sabbath brings us back to a right relationship with God. But it also begins to help us restore a right relationship to other people if you've seen this little diagram that we've been using for the last few weeks, um, they're in your bulletin again. And if you didn't get one, there's some in the back. But that the first three commandments, which include this one, have a lot to do with our relationship to God, our so called vertical relationship. Whereas, and three through ten incorporate our relationship to other people. This one is our turning point. This is the one that has both, right? In Scripture, that this is a Sabbath day that is holy unto the Lord. It's part of our relationship to God. This is not, see, it's, it's sort of been hijacked by culture, right? Rest is trendy again. Like, see if you can be on Facebook for more than five minutes without finding an article about how to, I don't know, take a bubble bath and drink champagne. I don't know. <laughs> Some kind of pause. It's very much in work culture now because employers realized it's much more expensive to retrain than to retain an employee and if you just keep driving humans like they're machines then they'll eventually give out so we got to give them some time off every once in a while because you know it's efficient and cost effective (laughs) our tendency to try to leverage things to our benefit never stops right the gift of sabbath has come to the world through god of yahweh who said you can pause and we, we try to leverage even that to our benefit. The Christian practice of Sabbath isn't about increasing your productivity. It goes the other way. Right? It's much more flip-flop from that. That our productivity exists so that we can take a day to remember that resting and just being who we are in right relationship with God is what all of this is for. That we produce and we create so that we can joy enjoy. We don't crash because we're exhausted so that we can go produce more. It restores our relationship to God and the world around us, but it also restores our relationship to others. There's a whole list of other people to whom we relate in the commandment about Sabbath. You shall not do any work, neither shall you nor your son or daughter your manservant or servant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. Those are categories and lists of people that would work so I don't have to. Ask Morgan if she has to do the dishes so that I don't have to sometimes. <laughs> and in their economy, the Beit Av, the house of the father, it was the sons and the daughters, and perhaps you had servants that were part of your household, and aliens and foreigners were welcome among the Jewish people, which was con- in contrast to the world around them, they were not seen as a threat, but they were often welcomed as workers, which is good and a mercy in and of itself. But even the people who work so I don't have to work get a break on Sunday. Because I'm not saying I can pause because you're going to work harder today, I'm pausing because God is at work on all of our behalf. And the Sabbath is an opportunity to simultaneously acknowledge that God is on my side. I don't have to do any tricks or backflips to convince him to be there, but also I can give these self-same gifts away to the people within my reach. That I can give somebody else an opportunity to live like royalty, to cease striving, and to just be. And that on Sunday, my kids can be enough and I'm not gonna push them to do their chores or study harder or improve their serve or work on their therapy or clean their room, that this is a point in their lives where I can say, yeah, I wanna hear your story. Yeah, sure, let's play chess. Yes, you can take a nap. Yes, you can watch a movie. Yes, yes, just yes. We can enjoy each other and the life that we have built today without pressure, without expectation, without striving. So the implementation of Sabbath throughout Jewish history and Christian history has taken on some really interesting practical like twists, right? Like, okay, fine, but what does that mean? What do we do? <laughs> I mean, the, the most simple thing, the very most simple thing is try to find a 24-hour period in your week where you just don't work. 24-hour period in your whole week where you just don't work. And, I don't know what that means for you. Um, It's really interesting for a clergy family, the clergy or the clergy spouse, to be up here talking about Sabbath because we often don't practice Sabbath on Sunday. I'm getting a nod from the other person in ministry up here. We don't practice Sabbath on Sunday. These are my work clothes. I I don't hang out like this when I'm not working. Um, But we try really hard for a different 24-hour period. Where the expectations are laid down, and where we don't have to put on the work clothes, because God first, because God did, right? We're told to remember that after the six days of creation, God rested. God does not get tired. This was not God collapsing so that God could create some more the next day. He didn't have a whole other universe to go put together. This was God enjoying the purpose of creation, which was right relationship with his creation, including us. So we rest because God did, because, and God implemented the Sabbath, and then God honored the Sabbath. I think this is one of my favorite Sabbath phenomenons in all of our history, and that is manna, miraculous manna right? The newly born nation of slaves is just figuring out how to be who God wants them to be. They're wandering through the desert where there is no food. They don't have any farming skills. They don't have any tools yet. I mean, we're just figuring this out. And God provides miraculous manna every day, every day, except on Friday, there was twice as much and then none on Saturday. So they didn't even have to go get the miracle. And then again on Sunday, here comes the manna. I think I might have panicked the first few times. (laughs) I think I might have been a little bit scared. Because remember, the instruction was gather enough manna for your day. Don't save extra. And when they tried, it had maggots and worms and went bad, whatever. And so every single day, and okay, this makes sense to me. Might even could be explained away as some kind of natural phenomenon. Until one day a week, every week, it doubles on one day, ceases on another, and starts over. Because God honored the Sabbath from the very beginning and invited his people to have an entire day off for the first time in their whole history, for the first time in anybody's history. Nobody else in the world took a day off either, unless they were royalty. So we look to God to be the example and the reason why for 24 hours a week we pause and we just don't work. And so all kinds of practices sprung up around this, right? The Jewish um, idea of the day of preparation, where they would prepare and they would sort of cook double a little bit. They would cook special meals on Friday so that on Saturday you didn't have to cook. And if you're not cooking, you shouldn't be doing dishes, so that's also off the table. And it's, it's a way of creating space for rest, not expecting it to just fall at us. And our rhythms have changed a little bit. I don't know what that would look like for you to maybe include your food practices in a day of rest. Um, for uh, just, I don't know, a guy. I read a blog this week. It's, this is not an authoritative source or the way to do it necessarily, but I read a story about a guy that I really liked this week and he is a single man. And so his whole food rhythm during the week looks a lot like Sabbath preparation because Ginny <laughs> is nodding at me. We've talked about this. Cooking for one is kind of hard because nothing comes in quantities for one person. So if you're cooking for one, you're constantly cooking ahead for the next day and eating the same thing today that you had yesterday and reworking the things that you cooked into a different meal. And he said, it didn't seem like Sabbath rest for me to just continue that practice. And so I know that a lot of times people don't eat out on Sunday so that no one, someone else doesn't have to work. But he said, being a single man, Sunday was often the time that I could eat with my friends and that I could be in community with people so I would go out to eat. But his commitment was to get a break for himself, he was eating out instead of cooking. To give some Sabbath away, to offer some rest to someone else. Every time he went out to eat on a Sunday, he left a 100% tip. If he ate for six bucks, he left six bucks. If he ate for 60, he left 60. Because that food service worker does not live by the rules of the kingdom of God, maybe, and our culture doesn't necessarily always abide by them. They need that shift They need that job, but maybe one extra 100% tip, let them feel for just a minute like royalty instead of a slave. Maybe it gave them a little less tension in their shoulders about whether or not the ends were gonna meet this month. And maybe it acknowledged them as more of a person than a role. That's just one idea but I really liked it because it's one idea that seems to be shaped by the heart behind Sabbath. Right? Remember what Ken read for us this morning, that the Sabbath exists as a gift to us and through us and not so that we can meet the requirements of Sabbath. <laughs> one more practice that, that grew up around Sabbath um, was to wear your finest clothing. Now y'all, I don't, this is not how I like to be in the world. Anybody surprised? I am a jeans, t-shirt, ponytail kind of girl. And so I've resented this part of Sabbath practice for pretty much my whole life. Asked my mother how happy I was to put on a dress on Sunday morning. There was kicking and screaming and I really wanted to wear boots and jeans. And that really never went away, I haven't outgrown it. But here's what occurred to me this week as I was preparing again. I've never thought of this. Slaves don't have fine things. You don't need not work clothes if you don't not work. To put on fine clothing is to say, I don't have to make bricks out of mud and straw today. To put on fine clothing is to say, I get to be like royalty for a minute. I don't have to go to work. And so their clothing practices begin to reflect the joy of this pause that had never been part of their life ever. Let your Sabbath medical care workers be the day that you don't have to wear the scrubs, right? If you're a banker and you have to wear a suit and tie every day, then don't wear one to church. It's okay, I promise. Do you see the contrast? And it can't be about following the rules and meeting the expectations and trying to live up to things. Uh, Even not working gets really differently defined now my husband is a pastor his work is incredibly relational and emotional and his and cognitive but his work is not physical and this is a guy who grew up on a ranch this is a guy who was a cowboy and you know I don't know what he did. I didn't do it. But it, I think it was a very physical thing that he did. And that's not the kind of work that he has anymore. So for, if I promise he's not being a hypocrite if you see him out mowing on his day off. It's a break from his normal labor. Right? So I pray for us to, together as a community and for you and your lives to ask the Lord and to hear and to see specific ways that we can receive the gift of being set free from the fruitless gymnastics and theatrics of idolatry, that we can receive the gift of the capacity to bear God's name in glory, and that we can receive the gift of rest. In Jesus' name, I ask for these things for us all. Amen.